Okay. Uh, welcome to Extra Sauce on the Side. I'm Samantha Denman, and I'm here with my friend Michelle. Michelle Bain. Michelle Bainbridge, if you needed to know her whole name, because apparently I don't. Uh, so this season uh, is happening. So welcome. And I just wanted to come on and put a little disclaimer here before we get into the topics of this season, because this season we're going a little bit deeper and addressing topics that aren't things that people always agree upon. And the whole goal of this podcast is to be able to have those conversations without judgment and allow people to express their life stories and how they feel about things without feeling attacked or threatened and we can dig a little deeper and understand each other even if we don't agree. So I just ask that when you listen to these stories, you keep an open mind and um, are gentle with everyone who decides to share their personal experiences here and whether or not we agree with them, that's okay. And here we are. So today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a hot topic, which is child loss and miscarriage and trying to conceive and all of those really fun things that both Michelle and I are going through right now. Um, And Michelle has a story that um, really changed my mind about a lot of things. And I think it's really important that you guys listen with an open heart and an open mind. And I'm not asking you to change your mind about anything, but everyone has their own story that deserves to be respected. So, uh, Michelle. Hi, Sam. Hi. (laughs) Hi. We've known each other since high school, so actually way before that, but (laughs) yeah. So tell us, tell us about your life. Oh, that's (laughs) That's so vague. I know. Oh man. Um, I want to say thanks for creating a space where stories can be told. Yeah. Because I have a story about my son, which is the most important person in my life even though he is not physically in my life. Um, and it's a story that I hold very dearly and that I get to share. That's how I like to think about it is that it's that I get to share his story. Um, I'm his mom forever. And part of that, part of that for me is sharing what he means to me. And it, and you have said that he, he and his story have touched you, and I think that's really cool. So yeah. I appreciate that from you, and I appreciate you creating a space where I get to tell this story to a lot more people. Yeah, and you're when you told us right after Will, who you will find out about mm-hmm. soon, passed away, um, it was the kind of story that needed to be told. And I have just been sitting here waiting for you to be ready. So yeah. was, Michelle approached me about this, and I am yeah. really excited about the opportunity for you to all hear her perspective. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a person who likes to kind of take my time, um, and decide what words I like to use. I like to, I like to kind of internalize and think about things and then present them in the way I want them presented with the words I want to use. And it makes me feel empowered to make those types of choices. And then I really feel like I've done a good job um, communicating what I want to communicate. And like you said at the very beginning, all I can do is tell my story. Yeah. It's a true story. It's a sad story. Um, but it's a story that I have lived and continue to live. And um, and that's the that's what I have to share. Yeah. All I can share, all I can give is 
is my my true story. So things like um, my son's name is Will. I refer to him as Will. I love hearing his name. It's a very special name to me. I like hearing it out loud. Um, I talk a lot about him in the present, sometimes in the future tense. Those are choices I make. I talk about the day that Will was born, even though that's the same day he died. Yeah. Um, that will always to me be the day that he is born. And that's how I like to refer to it. That's how it felt. And, um, so that's another like kind of word choice I've made. And, um, and the great thing about the whole process, what? Aw, buddy. We were doing so well, and then Caleb interrupted us okay. with because our mascot gadget is here. Just so you know, this is the first episode we've ever done that we're doing video as well. Right. So if you want to watch it on YouTube, I don't know what the channel's called because we haven't made one yet. <laughs> It'll probably be something like extra sauce on the Or side. ESOS or something like that. We'll put a, ta- a link to it. Um, but one of the greatest things about the way that you talk about Will is that you've communicated how you want other people to talk about Will. Yeah. And I think that's really important when you're in close knit groups of friends. Not everyone's going to respect that. Just like with pronouns, not everyone's mm-hmm. going to respect that. But if you advocate for yourself, we think of Will as a part of our friend family, yeah. you know, and and that's because Michelle told us she wanted us to talk about him like that. Everyone has different desires when it comes to things mm-hmm. like that. But it's really important that you state those to the people around you because people aren't going to know what you want unless you tell them. And people are afraid, awkward, uncomfortable to ask. Yeah. They're awkward to broach a subject that is uncomfortable. I know it's uncomfortable. Um, but being, it's my life. It was my body. It's my brain, my heart, my son. Um, I am the advocate for saying, this is okay to talk about. This is what I, this is what I will allow you to know. This is what I'm choosing to share. This is how I like to, uh, you know, if I didn't want anyone to say his name, I wouldn't have told anyone his name. I love his name. And I, I told everyone his name's Will and please tell me, you know, I love seeing his name written on things. I like that. That means a lot to me. Um, but just like you said, if it's uncomfortable for someone to ask, Hey, uh, I know your baby passed away. Do you want to share his name? That's a that is no one not would ever a question. ask that, yeah. right? <laughs> no one's no one's going to ask that. So, um, so I think that it it also is important to say like it's okay as the mom to take your time making that decision. Yeah. Once you do tell people his name, everyone knows. And if you're not ready to hear it, it's okay to keep it to yourself. Yeah. That's not shameful. That's not that doesn't mean anything. Um, other than you haven't made that decision yet and that's okay too. Yeah. And I think that's really important, especially a lot of you know that I also had a miscarriage, which is a little different than Michelle's situation, but, um, I chose to share that whole process with the entire world. That's because that's the kind of person that I am. I don't expect that from anyone else. And I have had a lot of women open up to me about their stories after sharing. And I keep those things to myself because if someone wanted to share it, they would share it. And I think it's very important before we go into this dialogue to understand that every circumstance is different. And that's why we're sharing this story. Um, The goal isn't to tell you what to do. It's just to share an experience and allow you to have a little compassion for a real person who experienced a real thing. Sure. And we're not trying to change anyone's mind. We're just telling us, telling a story. So yeah, exactly. 
this is my story. This is my son. That's all I can, that's all I can offer. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's start. So, um, Michelle and I about, what was it? Two or three years ago? Oh, oh it feels I like know. forever. I wish it wasn't that <laughs> Started, long ago. Are the first ones in our group of friends who started talking about maybe having children, yeah. and Michelle got pregnant. I did. <laughs> you really fast forwarded through a lot. Of yeah, <laughs> it was a long time, and then Michelle did get pregnant. <laughs> yes. So yes, I did. I got. I did get pregnant, and um, was thrilled. Very yeah. excited. Um, couldn't believe it, and. Um, I'm a baseline, anxious, pessimistic kind of person, but I really made a conscious effort to, to be like, you know what? Everything's good until proven, proven otherwise. I am pregnant. We're just going to believe that and, and, you know, keep a positive attitude. And I really did. I really, um, you know, I went to the doctors and got the blood work and it's confirmed and it's, I can't believe it. And I told my parents, I told my friends, um, not publicly, but in person and was very excited. Um, and everything was good. And I have this like secret weapon that my mother-in-law just happens to be a retired ultrasound sonographer, (laughs) um, and just happens to own her own ultrasound machine. And so, at her house, we were kind of taking weekly sneak peeks at this baby. And we saw a heartbeat at seven weeks at home on the couch. And what a cool moment that was. And then when I finally did get to go to the doctor at 10 weeks, I think. Yeah, because in case you didn't know, even a blood <laughs> test before 10 weeks is very rare. Um, when you get pregnant, if you've never been pregnant before, you call the doctor and they say, whoopee-doo, big deal. <laughs> See you in 12 weeks. And then they hang up the phone. <laughs> I said, can you can you send me any information about medications or foods I should avoid? And she said, I guess. Oh, my person said, no, you get that at 12 weeks. And so, of course, Caleb had a friend whose wife just had a baby and they sent me the medication list because I immediately was sick the second I got yeah. pregnant. So, yeah, they don't help you with anything until you're 10 weeks because... This happens, miscarriage early on happens a lot, like it did in my case, Mm -hmm. and they don't want to waste the resources if they don't have to. That's a fact. That's screwed up, but it's America. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that is a fact. So, um, yeah, I also have breezed through... like how miserable I was physically. Yeah, you should tell you them You said that. you got sick immediately, and I was like, oh, yeah, me too. I, like, the day I hit seven weeks pregnant, I vomited four times a day from that day until 20 weeks. Yeah. I mean, ill, ill. I also was unemployed at the time <laughs> um, and interviewing, and I was doing all these virtual interviews and would, like, vomit do an interview, vomit immediately after. I did get hired at a job and I had to do training, like live virtual training classes. And I would like have to turn off my camera to vomit and then turn my camera back on. Like miserable, miserably sick. I mean, I kept myself like awake until about 8 p.m. And then I took half a Unisom tablet and put myself to bed and woke up and vomited the next day. I mean, it's unreal what your body, one, can put you through. 
and two, what you can endure. Yeah. Because you're just a, sh- I was a shell of a person just getting through. Well, and then after watching you, I felt so privileged because oh, I, I didn't throw up once the whole time I was pregnant. <laughs> I had a lot of diarrhea. <laughs> but that was a problem for me too, because when I did finally go to the doctor, they're like, of course you're not pregnant anymore because you didn't throw up. And that's also bullshit. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a scary thing too. to, to every, every, they, everyone says every pregnancy is so different. Maybe that's true, but mine was brutal. Yeah. So I kind of like crawled my way through to that 10 week appointment. Um, she did a Doppler to find heart tones. We found them in the office, but I had already cheated and seen them on an ultrasound <laughs> at home. Um, and she, then like, I finally agreed to take Zofran, um, because we were going camp, a family camping trip the next week, and I threw up the whole three-hour car ride Ugh. there. Uh, just so then I was like, okay, maybe I should take some medicine. <laughs> like, yeah, like my whole family's like, yeah, we've been telling you that. Um, I was like, okay, so I get through the camping trip, and I get home from that. I'm 11 weeks pregnant. We had taken really cute family photos up north my sister-in-law was pregnant at the same time so we had these like back-to-back bump pictures another cousin that we're camping with was pregnant with twins we're like oh my gosh this is gonna be so cute next year so many babies holding our babies i get home uh immediately i drive to my mother-in-law's house when i get home because i'm dying to see this baby she puts the ultrasound probe on and i'm 11 weeks pregnant and this looks like a baby now yeah it is jumping around in me like up and down and and moving legs and we're like oh my gosh we have a rambunctious little baby like I couldn't believe it I was like I was taking videos and sending to my mom and oh man like I'm like oh my gosh okay yeah okay this is that's a real baby in there with like limbs and stuff um cool so that's week 11 week 12 um I I don't have an ultrasound scheduled at the doctor until 20 weeks. Yeah, because they do one to confirm the pregnancy and then one for the sex. They do the gender confirmation the next So week. I didn't, I wasn't even going to have like, like my first one was going to be my 20 week anatomy. Oh, you never even had a first ultrasound. Okay. Right. Just a Doppler. Okay. Right. So, um, so 12 weeks came around and I was like, okay, I, the vomiting has got to slow down. That's what everyone says. <laughs> it's almost over. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, I made it to 12 weeks. I felt so accomplished. Like I had done all these things and I got a job and you know, I'm like, Oh, also bought a house or we're in the process of buying a house. That was the morning we looked at our house. Then I went to my mother-in-law's right afterwards. That was 12 weeks. So I'm like, okay, we're here for our weekly ultrasound. And she puts the ultrasound probe on and we see a heartbeat. Cool. We see his head. Cool. And she's like, gosh, I just, I just feel like his bladder looks too big. And I'm like, his bladder? A why baby are you even looking at that thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this baby, why does a baby need a bladder when they're this little? You yeah. Know? Okay. Uh, okay. So she's like, let me call my sister-in-law or my sister who is ultra, also an ultrasound tech. And, um. My mother-in-law's like, I didn't specialize in babies. But my sister did, so. Of course, she's got Let's someone get, on call. <laughs> Let's get her on FaceTime. 
so we get uh, Aunt Vicky on FaceTime, and she's like, "Okay, Vicky, Michelle's twelve weeks along. We just want to. I just want to see if what you think of this." Flips the camera, and Aunt Vicky goes, "That bladder is way too big." I'm like, "Okay, it's okay, it's okay. We don't know why." Yeah. Um, and you and you don't understand until you get pregnant. You don't know anything. Right. Okay. Right. They don't, you don't get magic knowledge from the Lord when you get pregnant. (laughs) Right. Like when people are doing these ultrasounds, you don't know what to expect. So for all you know, a big bladder happens at one point during production because production, well, you know what I mean? Growth. Growth. Development. Development. That's what I said. I said, maybe this is a brand new bladder that needs to figure its life out. Yeah. Like when my baby didn't have a heartbeat when Mm -hmm. we had our ultrasound. I didn't know if it was time to have a heartbeat yet. No one yeah. preps you for what you're supposed to be looking for. Yeah. So you you have to rely on other women with experience. Yeah. And also just you're flying blind yeah. most of the time. Um, you said that the Lord doesn't give you knowledge, but right in that moment, the switch flipped on my maternal protective yeah. instincts. I was like, I took... A bunch of videos and screenshots. I typed a message to my doctor through my chart. I sent it to her. And then I was relentless that weekend. Because that, that was a Friday. Saturday, I'm following up with the office. Sunday, I'm following up with the office. Monday morning, I'm calling the office and saying, please have the doctor look at my note. Well, the doctor's not in today. I'll have another doctor look at it. That other doctor said, yes, she needs to look at this. 9 p.m. on a Monday, my doctor calls me and says, I agree. I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you. Yeah. So Tuesday, um, I call the office and I say, uh, my doctor wants me to have an ultrasound today. Oh, well, it looks like we don't have any appointments available until tomorrow at noon. I'm like, that's weird because my doctor told me to get myself in there as soon as possible. She's like, yeah, okay, so tomorrow at noon. Okay, we'll see you then. I'm like, no, that's not really good enough. So I called the central scheduling office (laughs) and I say, my doctor has found an anomaly on my ultrasound and needs to see me right now. So whichever office, whichever of your ultrasound clinics has an availability today, I need to go there. And wouldn't you know, she got me a 9 a.m. appointment at that same office that had just told me. They didn't have anything until tomorrow. You have to keep following up. Yeah. No one's going to advocate for you. So. And you have to remember too, to give the doctors a little bit of credit. They see this every day, right? Every mom is freaking out. Every mom is, thinks they're the only one pregnant. Every mom. But it is important for providers to remember that this is your first experience. And that's really hard when you see stuff like. Yeah. I also just kept telling myself. My gut instinct is not wrong. Yeah. Um, and good for you because as a woman, mm-hmm. we get told to dismiss that stuff all the time. Yeah, but see, it it wasn't for me. Yeah. It was for my my son, and that feels very different. I'd never had that experience before. I would have been too afraid to call and make my own doctor's appointment. Yeah. But for my sons, I called three different people and demanded. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's different. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay, great. We go to the ultrasound right then. Um, they tell me like the doctor isn't going to see you today, but we'll get the ultrasound done. Fine. Whatever. Um, so the ultrasound tech. So I'm, I had done between Monday and Tuesday, 
no, all weekend I had done whatever research I could. Yeah. And not like internet research. Like, like I'm reading medical journal articles, journal articles, and I'm finding studies and I have, I'm comparing my ultrasound to other ultrasounds. You also went to school and for pre-med stuff. So sure, sure, sure. So that actually helps too, because you do have a knowledge of yeah. the industry and how things work yeah. and the terminology. The terminology like is very helpful. And to show up with terminology, you get taken a lot more seriously. Yeah. So I had already decided in my head what this diagnosis was going to be um, based on my research so that I knew this word. I've seen this word. And when she tells me this tomorrow, I will say, okay, good, good job. Good research. This is right. Yeah. Yeah. So I decide this is called mega cystis, which is big bladder, right? (laughs) Okay. Good job, science. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah, there is very limited research on this. There are studies, but like with six to 10 babies participating in these studies, most of what I'm seeing, 90% plus of these babies don't make it to 17 weeks, um, which I'm like, but I wasn't even supposed to have my first ultrasound until 20. Okay. Um, okay. So we go to the doctor. I have a real ultrasound for the first time. Very uncomfortable if you've never had one, <laughs> especially if you have to get the internal one. They're cranking that thing around in there like nobody's yeah. business. I did not have to have an internal because my baby's bladder was huge. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm looking. I'm like, yep, it looks the same. I had heard the phrase the night the night before in my reading. I had heard the phrase keyhole syndrome, which is where a certain view on the ultrasound, the bladder is actually shaped like a keyhole. Oh. Um, and then when she did the probe, I was like. That's called a keyhole, isn't it? The ultrasound tech can't. They confirm, can't say anything. But yeah. she was like, looked at me like, how do you know the word keyhole? You know? <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I'm looking at my husband and I'm like, you know, this is lining up. Okay. Okay. So the, she, the tech went and got the doctor to come in and talk to me. And the doctor, and this was the first, um, like, gold star for a doctor and I have a lot of gold stars to hand out for my doctors she came into the room she said this is what I think it is I think it's mega cystis um I in this office are not qualified to help you with this you will be going to high risk OB tomorrow gold star yeah don't straightforward no doubts about it told you exactly what she thinks it is not that she's positive but that she thinks and she needs someone more expertise filled and she's not gonna have an ego about it she's going to send me somewhere else yeah she we i asked probably i asked a few more questions we talked a little bit back and forth um and then i went home so that's tuesday wednesday she's like that the high risk ob office will call you and i'm like no 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 (laughs) so here's my move I call and I say, I'm so sorry. I can't remember if they said I was supposed to call you or if you were supposed to call me. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. We were supposed to call you. Oh, well. Since we're on the phone. Since we're on the phone. Yeah. Could you just see what you have available for me? Okay. That's the move. That's yeah. the line. So. Hot tip. Yeah. So 
what do you know? They have an opening on Friday. <laughs> Great. So I'm there by Friday. So now I'm 13 weeks pregnant. Uh, yeah, I had turned 13 weeks on Tuesday. So I'm almost 14. And one, if you don't know, if you've never been pregnant before, one week in pregnancy is the difference between having a heart and a brain and not having a heart and a brain. So a lot happens in a short week. In yeah. the very, in the beginning, yes. Yeah. Uh, definitely. So by Friday, I'm at the high risk office. I'm seeing one of those doctors for the first time. Ultrasound. He comes in, confirms what everything we've been talking about. This is a, so now I have a little more information from him because now this is like a real appointment with an expert. He, this is the first time too, that I have talked to a doctor who has said, I have seen this before. Oh yeah. Excellent. Um, and I have treated this before. Excellent. So I'm feeling like I'm in the right place. Um, this is a physical anomaly uh, where the outlet of the bladder didn't did formed inappropriately. So no urine can come out of the bladder. It is most common in boys. These are these are things I'm I'm hearing from him. Also, why does urine happen? Oh, (laughs) because we had to ask Michelle this question, too, because why do you need a urethra when you're in utero? The the amniotic fluid that you develop in the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. And I'm still not certain about this. I asked this same question a ton of times and, um, and I'm not super clear, but the amount of fluid that your body creates in those first 12 weeks, you don't create much more than that. Okay. That's kind of like, to my understanding, is that's the volume that you have available. Your baby does this process of swallowing this fluid and breathing it in and then urinating it out. And while the fluid is in their body, that fluid helps them practice using the kidneys, using the digestive system. That fluid surrounds the lungs and is goes inside the lungs and that has a big role in the development of these organs. That fluid is probably nourishment, probably whatever else magic chemicals are in there. Whatever are, makes the liver, whatever makes yeah, it. Yeah. They're surrounding, they're coding these organs, they're developing these organs. Because by the time you're 12 weeks pregnant, your baby has its organs. Yeah. And then they just grow and get better. Yeah. Um, so that's this process. You know, all that's going through your baby is, this, is the fluid. So, but if all that fluid is stuck inside your baby's bladder, there is a lot less fluid surrounding the baby. And that was the case with me at the very beginning is they were like, your fluid levels are low, but they're there. Um, this is when my husband and I started to be being able to measure our own fluid levels on an ultrasound. We were like, <laughs> we're like, just the, the. The amount of things we learned that we didn't think we'd ever learn. Um, but yeah, so we learned that this was some obstruction. Um, it could self-resolve. That's a thing that they like to give you a little bit of hope there at the beginning. <laughs> you know, it could self-resolve. Um, but that obviously is not not how this story goes and not how most of the stories go. Yeah. It's a physical malformation and urine cannot get out. So now I'm going home 
Oh, this is the first time that the doctor said to me, there are treatment options, but we don't have those available at our hospital. Um, there, you also have the option to terminate this pregnancy. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I, I worked really hard for this baby. I just threw up <laughs> four times a day for 12 weeks, <laughs> for 12 weeks. That is not, I am not giving up. Yeah. At this point. Not an option. Yeah. Not an option. Thank you. Thank you. Not an option. And now is where I mentioned that we both also have very conservative backgrounds. So neither one of us ever in a situation would have ever been like, I'm going to have an abortion someday or I'm going to terminate a pregnancy someday. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. that's not. No. No. Especially because it's a baby that we worked really hard for. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that took a long time to conceive. And then also I put my body through it yeah up until this point and also you freaking love the thing oh yeah i know <laughs> oh, that bouncing little baby you know i know so on this day at this first appointment the doctor mentioned um this could be a genetic there could be a genetic cause would you like to know that yes i'm a science-minded person i like whatever at this point whatever information you have because yeah. there's not a lot available to me so far um i'll take it Well, that involves this procedure called a CVS, which is a chronic villi or villus sample. I'm not sure what the S stands for. Basically, they're going to take a teeny tiny biopsy of your placenta. And that's that's the best genetic information for the baby. When you do the blood genetic test, it's very accurate, but they have to separate... Your, the mom's blood from the baby's blood yeah. and there's a chance they that they confused. didn't do it right yeah when you take it the placenta that is the baby's dna okay sure he goes he's like it's a five minute procedure i do it all the time we do it right here in the office you know okay oh my gosh <laughs> this there's like a few moments of this that are hard to relive. And this is the first one. Yeah. Because he stuck a needle. First of all, he numbed. Yeah. He put lidocaine in my cervix. Which that would be painful. <laughs> it is. The I- cervix <laughs> is something that just should not be touched. Ever. <laughs> and should not be poked with a sharp object. So he numbed my cervix and then put in a, like a, a thicker, like a guide needle to put the little biopsy needle in and you're awake this whole time. Yeah. Um, so once my cervix was numb, it was okay, except my placenta was anterior and where the baby's head was comparatively it was it took him four times to get the sample safely so we were in and out four times it was really awful and uh and that's the first time I cried because I'm I am so sick I'm so miserable I am now I'm uncomfortable and in pain and that was the first time I had the thought 
am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Because today felt wrong. Today hurt. Today put my baby's head at risk from a procedure that I elected to do. And I didn't feel good about it. So was that the right choice? My husband and I have that conversation all the time. Yeah. Did we do the right thing? Let's recap. What it comes back to is at the time you made the decision with the information you had, what decision would you have made differently? He said, this is the most accurate genetic test I can offer you. I can't, if I had said no to that, I would have always wondered. Yeah. Now it's done. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that week also involved like phone calls from the genetic counselor who was really awesome, really thorough, took family histories from both of us. Um, and then it was like, uh, we'll see you in a few days. They wanted to get some results back. That was Friday. It ended up being like a tradition that we would always have an ultrasound at 7 a.m. on a Friday. <laughs> like our, that was what we did on Friday yeah. mornings. Um, that's why I remember it was Friday. So by the next week, my genetic tests come back totally normal. They're going to do a little more thorough testing, but so far super normal. My blood work, super normal. Um, we're back to like, this is probably a physical anomaly. Okay. Then I have a meeting at the high-risk clinic with a different doctor, but they all work together in this office, so he had, so he was aware of my case. And we had a meeting where he was saying, um, this is an obstruction. Sometimes we can relieve these obstructions with a couple of procedures. I had read about some of these procedures in like a couple of the studies that I had read. So I was like, okay, I'm hoping he's going to offer us this procedure. You know, it seems like people are doing this. I had also, by the way, at this point, joined a Facebook group of moms whose kids have this diagnosis. Great support group. Really hard stories to read. Had to be careful with that. Um, So anyways, in this meeting with this doctor, he said there are two hospitals – that we work with that are doing procedures. Cleveland is doing this certain procedure. It's obviously not the one I had because I don't know anything further about it. (laughs) (laughs) Or Chicago is doing this stent placement procedure. And he's like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I never imagined, prepared for, considered that I would be a person, a family member that is now going to travel out of state for a medical procedure. This is a new experience to me. And he's asking me right now because he's going to call one of the hospitals. And refer you, yeah. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, can you tell us a little more about these procedures? I'm listening to him talk about them. He said, Chicago will see you at 15 weeks. Cleveland will see you at 20 Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> so again, you're doing like the, oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know which one's better. This is literally like a life-changing decision. And, but they can see us sooner. We'll go to Chicago. Um, okay. So, and in my head, I'm, I have the statistic that 90% of these babies don't live past 17 weeks. Yeah. Um, 
So if I can be seen at 15, I'm really happy about that. I feel so ahead of the game because I'm not even supposed to have an ultrasound until 20. Yeah. So I'm like, this is, this is great. This feels right. So then next thing you know, we're making arrangements to go to Chicago for a fetal surgery. Um, the second this team called me from Chicago, I was like, wow, did we make the right choice? It was an unbelievable team. This nurse called me and said, we're the Chicago Fetal Institute of Fetal Medicine. Um, this is what you can expect. We're going to have an itinerary for you on your first day where you will meet this person that will welcome you. Then we'll put you in your own private room. You're going to meet with the genetic counselor, the fetal medicine doctor, the surgeon. I'm your nurse contact. Call me anytime. Here's the hotel that you're going to stay at. Here are the days you need to arrive and go home. I'm like, I was like full like all inclusive vacation. I Jeez. know, right? <laughs> I know. I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is amazing. She's like, do you have any questions? And my question was, what do people pack for surgery? <laughs> because I've never been a patient yeah. at a hospital. And she's like, oh, uh, I mean, whatever you want, like pajamas, you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I have this whole schedule of the day. I'm like, well, how great, so great that that's the only question you had to ask. I know. And so I'm feeling, I'm like, Chicago is it. Like, this is the right choice. This is great. I'm watching YouTube videos on of these stent, stent placement. Procedures. Yes, procedures. <laughs> I'm like, I reached out to a Facebook mom in this group. And she, like, texted me her phone number and... Um, she sent me pictures of her son's stent in case I wanted to see what one looked like ahead of time. Yeah. I'm like, okay, this is going to be, we're going to, this is going to be a great story where this is like a miracle, right? Um, and then we go to Chicago for our first surgery. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we already established before we started that we were going to take a break here because Michelle has talked the whole time. So she needs some water and I need to stand up and blow my nose. So um, we're going to do a little commercial break. Just zoom in on my face here and then cut. Welcome back. That was another spot for a zoom in case you were wondering. Okay, <laughs> so you get to Chicago. We get to Chicago. Okay, so I'm like, what, 15 weeks pregnant. I have a diagnosis of a megacystis bladder. Um, we had, at some point, some ultrasound tech told us it was a boy. And oh, yeah. she was like, do you want to know the gender? And I was like, we are going to be talking a lot about this baby's bladder and genitalia i'm gonna need to know the gender yeah so yeah it's a boy okay that was probably one of the first like oh this is such an abnormal pregnancy or this is not going to look like what i had in mind and you kind of do this like fork in a road thing in your mind where you're like i had said at the beginning i had no reason to doubt this was a normal pregnancy so i really tried to stay on that train as soon as it wasn't, all of the future visions and plans and gender reveals and baby showers and 
announcements and the things that you look forward to getting to do with your first baby, I am, I have pivoted and I'm down a different road. Um, my husband and I got together early on, uh, I probably when we made the decision, Cleveland versus Chicago about like, we are going to have a lot of choices to make. We are officially parents yeah. because what do parents do other than make hard choices on behalf of their kids, safety and well-being? And that is exactly what we're doing. So we're going to have to make hard choices as parents one at a time. Because from 12 weeks to 15 weeks, we're already on this one week at a time, one piece of information at a time, one new doctor at a time. Um, and we're like, okay, this is, that's how we're going to have to do this one step at a time. Chicago's a big step. We moved to Chicago for the weekend. Um, like I said, there was a whole itinerary. We talked to the nurse. We talked to the genetic counselors. We talked to the research team. That fetal institute has a beautiful in-house research program that's extremely like ethical and all encompassed in their own hospital. So it's their own children that they're uh, not doing research on, but following. Yeah. So we signed up for their research program. Of course. You have permission to follow our son on this journey. You're doing surgery on him. Uh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. you know, to enroll in this program. Um, and help other moms like you who have yes. a sample size of 10. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, and that, the research lady was so cute. Her name was Joy, and she, like, bought us lunch, and she was adorable. <laughs> um, like, so nice. Everyone was so nice. And then they also had a social worker assigned to our case who literally came in to check on us that afternoon mentally. How are you doing? What's your mental health history? And then like turned to my husband. You're the dad. Everyone has overlooked you. How are you doing? That makes me want to cry. Mm -hmm. Oh God. (laughs) It's okay. So I'm going to do a little side because the hardest part of our miscarriage was... Everyone, women get it. Women, for the most part, have either had one or know someone who's had one. And understand that you're not going to be yourself. Yeah. So I got a lot of grace when I had a miscarriage. When Caleb had a miscarriage with me, Mm -hmm. he got a lot of messages that were like, be strong, your wife's going to need you. Oh. And... I understand that people's intentions are good when they say things yes. like that. People say a lot of really stupid things when when you're grieving. That's another episode. Yeah. <laughs> but please, if you, like, there are a lot of things I want you to get from this episode, but that is the best thing a medical provider could have ever done. Oh, yeah. Because Caleb never had one person ask yeah. him if he was okay. The, the I cannot... St- like emphasize enough how all-encompassing this visit was yeah the fact that they thought ahead to assign us a social worker to check on both of us um and she also in this very professional but approachable beautiful way like 
said to us, if you do not continue this entire pregnancy, everyone here is still going to love and support you. Yeah. Meaning the whole staff at this hospital. Yeah. And it was not a, so you're going to terminate this baby or not? Yeah. It was like a, hey, I've read your chart. I know you've refused termination, but I just want to throw it out there that this hospital has your back on whatever decision you make. Yeah. And these are people that see that every day. But it was so not, it was so supportive. Yeah. It was only supportive. And she left and I cried and I was, and I said to to Aaron, I was like, I'm not crying thinking about termination. I'm crying because this hospital is so nice. (laughs) I'm crying because imagine the mom that came in here alone and sat in this room with her own personal social worker and was told our entire office supports you no matter what you do. Imagine I have a husband who sits by me and supports me immaculately. Yeah. But I was like, what a gift that woman was to us and is to everyone. Yeah. I had her personal cell phone number. I had her email address. She was assigned to me for the duration of our relationship with this hospital. And I called her a lot. Yeah. Um, what hospital did you go to, by the way? So people know if Oh, they- sure. So this was, this was the Chicago Institute of Fetal Medicine inside Lurie's Children's Hospital, L-U-R-I-E. Okay. Lurie's Children's Hospital. Um, but they have like the specialty Office. fetal medicine. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so then I got my ultrasound there. It looked very similar to what we've all seen before. It was funny because the ultrasound tech was a little bit behind that day. Um, they had like an emergency twin ultrasound that they had to do. And I was like, take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I made the joke, like, we're here all weekend too many times. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Well, you gotta put some humor somewhere when your life is so sad and serious. Well, and when, like, and then this poor ultrasound tech who clearly is frazzled because she had just gotten out of an unscheduled twin situation. And I was like, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm not upset. I'm, I'm fine. Um, but because she was behind schedule, the doctor who was uh, the maternal fetal medicine doctor who was waiting to read the ultrasound, he got antsy. Oh, so gosh. he came into the room and she was, and he was like, how are you doing? Uh, and then I was like, oh no, he's, he's going to hurry Give you bad up. news. Yeah. He's going to, you know, uh, no, he, he was like, I got, I just, do you mind if I do this myself? And he sits down and takes the ultrasound probe. And the tech was like, this guy is the best at ultrasounds in the whole country. <laughs> She's like, he teaches ultrasound clinics in America. She's like having a celebrity moment. She is. She is. So I'm like, cool, you know, great. You know, that, like I'm feeling like really happy for my son, at this, you know? Yeah. Um, he does all his ultrasounds. Okay. Then... It's getting late in the day. It's like 4 p.m. And we've been there all day. But they assemble this team. So I go into, I walk into a conference room that is 
fetal surgeon, maternal fetal medicine, doctor, social worker, nurse, geneticist. Jeez. And then, like, a student. I, I felt like I was walking to a board meeting. Yeah. Like a conference room. And they put my ultrasound photos up on a huge screen and walked us through everything they've seen. Not just the bladder. We talked about his brain. We talked about his neck. We talked about his spine. We talked about his feet. And we counted all of his fingers. And we counted all of his toes. And we all laughed because he had his feet crossed. And it was so cute. And, um, like, really nice. Yeah. That everyone just gave me a minute to... Get to know your baby. Yes, to look at my baby. And not just the... Not just the parts of him that weren't perfect. Yeah. Then the fetal surgeon talked to me. And this man is the one that's going to make me cry because he just, there's, there was something about his presence in the room that everyone respected him and trusted him. And there was something about how he talked to me that I trusted him fully from the minute I talked to him, the minute I met him. He was so patient in asking for my understanding of things. Um, And he told me all about this diagnosis and all about my options, which range from we will help you terminate this pregnancy all the way to you can go home right now and not do anything, not do anything. Wow. Very much made me feel like you're the mother and this is a, we are sorry you're here, but what information do you need to make a choice? Yeah, you felt like part of the team. This sounds like them yes. incorporating oh, you totally. into the process of their decision-making too, like respecting right. your voice in that board meeting of yes. doctors, you know? Yes, presenting me with all the information in a way that we could both understand, my husband and I. My husband got so stressed in that meeting <laughs> yeah. because you're talking about fetal surgery, which means he has to sit alone in a room while him and his baby are having surgery tomorrow. Yeah. And he's, and I was like, I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's 5 PM. These people, the office is closing, but I was like, can we take a break? Cause Aaron is so stressed. Of course. Do you guys need anything to drink? What are we're we were the ones running late today. Not you. Like we got to the end and he said to me, Everything I've seen today, you and your baby are great candidates for this stent placement procedure. I do that. I can do it tomorrow. That's what we planned on. Yeah. Do you want to? He's like, do you want to go home and call me later? Do you want to go talk to your mom and call me tomorrow? Or do you want to meet me here at nine in the morning and do the thing? And I said, this is what I came to do. I feel super well taken care of here let's do it we signed all the forms we go to bed nine in the morning 
time for surgery. That part is was kind of funny because I'm an adult patient in the children's hospital. <laughs> so my like uh, anesthesia nurses come in with like their Donald Duck, you know, scrub caps and like they're like being so cute and they have like like oh we have pediatric tubes we got to get the big girl tubes you know <laughs> like all this it was it was funny and like the the actual operating room is painted like an aquarium you know <laughs> so uh so i had a, a fetal surgery i mean i'm not i won't go into all the details of like i was uh it was conscious sedation so i was kind of awake but like pretty tired and um but surgery is interesting, especially when you like kind of wake up during it. And, um, anyways, the next thing I really do remember is back in the hospital room, hooked up to a monitor, like a fetal monitor and, um, surgery's done. I have a, a single scar on my belly. Um, they had to, they had to actually give a muscle relaxer to my baby so that he wouldn't kiss. She's too hyperactive. Yeah. <laughs> So I have tiny little scars at the bottom of my belly where he got a shot, like in his butt. And um, then I have a scar from the placement of the stent. Um, Surgery went great. The next, I sleep that night at the hospital. The next morning, the team comes to check on me. I get a formal ultrasound done. And that is the first time that I see... A baby without a gigantic bladder. Yeah. I see on the screen just a baby, just without a glaring anomaly. I'm like, oh my gosh, like it worked. (laughs) He's got fluid all around him. He's wiggling. He has room to wiggle. I didn't realize the night before when I had no fluid on the outside of him, my, the gestational sac was in his face because there's no fluid around him. And now the next day I see him rolling over because he has space to. And I'm like, go, buddy. Like, this is your world, you know? Like, I'm so sorry you were cramped. Like, stretch your legs, you know? And he's like, this is the best. Yes. And we can see the stent on the ultrasound, this little squiggle piece of plastic that's now, like, in both of us. And Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's just, it's awesome. And so I get discharged. I sleep. I feel great. Yeah. I mean, everything went great. Then the next day, they want to follow up with me again. So I go back to that same office, same conference room. I do another ultrasound that morning. And they say, you have really significant membrane separation, which is like your gestational sac is made of multiple layers of membranes. And because they poked a hole all the way from the outside through that, inevitably a little bit of air or whatever leaks at that first poke. Yeah. And the membranes can separate. This is also why they they can't do surgery until you're 16 weeks along because your membranes don't fuse until that point. Okay. Um so they they can but it's like like yeah. only if they have to have to have to. So I was barely 16 weeks. I was 16 weeks and 3 days. So they were they, a little weak. To begin with. Yeah. Yeah. He said, it's significant. And I said, well, what can I do? And he said, this is a water balloon with water on the outside and water leaking out of it. 
So you have to not shake the balloon and you have to not let any more water leak. That's all we can do. And he's like, basically, you need to just hold still. And he said, I was like, okay, well, we're driving back to Michigan today. And he's like, and then that's it. He said, you get out of the car, get into your house, and you're not in a car again for at least a week. Wow. Okay. Whatever you say. I am not goofing up this perfect surgery. Yeah. So um, I had an ultrasound back in Grand Rapids that was supposed to happen the next day. He called and rearranged that. So you didn't even have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, Okay, great. I go home. I'm on super bed rest. Um, Literally, my mom came and, and like moved in with us and I went from bed to couch to bed for a week. Um, I had my follow-up ultrasound in Grand Rapids. Everything still looks good. The stent is in place. The fluid is fine. I mean, like, we did it. We made it a week, right? <laughs> the crazy thing with these stents is the baby's moving around, and it's not, it's just poked into him, into his bladder. It's not like they stitch it into place. Yeah. So the baby can catch it with a foot, catch it when they turn, and it can come out. They're also growing the whole time they're in there. So Exactly. So then the size stent they put in maybe doesn't fit. Maybe it gets loose as the baby grows. Maybe it's not big enough for enough fluid to come out, you know? Yeah. So he said most people that get stents get three over their pregnancy, but we have we can't do them closer than four weeks together. Okay. So my I'm I'm at home going. I have to make it four weeks. I have to make it four weeks. Um, I go in f- two weeks later for my checkup. My membranes are fused. Woo! Did it. She stayed still. Head held <laughs> still. I called my nurse in Chicago and I was like, "Guess what? <laughs> Guess whose membranes are fused?" Um, but I'm. They're telling me to be so careful. I'm like. Okay, so I'm going to my nephew's football game this weekend, and she says, do you have a wheelchair? I'm like, oh, what? She's like, you can't walk that far from the car to a football field. You need a wheelchair. Okay. My mom rents me a wheelchair. Because she does. The jack of all trades. Okay. I mean, I'm serious. So um, then three weeks later, I go for an ultrasound. No stent in sight. It is out. The bladder is full. We're back to how we looked a month ago. Okay. You know, he said this would happen. He wanted us to make it to four weeks. We made it to three. Um, okay. This is what happened. And one step at a time, one week at a time, this is, this is where we are this week. So the doctor in Grand Rapids says, maybe they want to see you back in Chicago like this weekend. And I'm like, no, he's not going to because he said four weeks. Yeah. And I had bad separation that just resolved five days ago. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So I call Chicago. She's like, let me get all of your images and records and I'll call you back. I'll review them with the doctor. Call you back. Um, They call me back. They want to see me in like five days. So almost another week. Yeah. Which would be like the four-week mark. Yeah. Okay. And then he's like, you know what? 
go in for one more ultrasound on Tuesday just to make sure. Nothing has progressed, yeah. And then we'll see you on Friday in Chicago. Okay. I go in on Tuesday. The bladder's full, but not too full. My fluid levels around the baby are low, but not zero. Um, okay, we'll go on Friday. Back to Chicago. Similar itinerary, but we don't have to do the whole meet and greet part. So ultrasound, she puts me, or she puts the ultrasound probe on. I'm looking at the screen. And at this point, I've had how many ultrasounds? Yeah, you know what you're looking at at this point. She's doing the ultrasound. She leaves the room and I turn to my husband and I say, his kidneys look terrible. He's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, look at his kidneys. They have holes in them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is, this is, this is where things take a turn because a bladder is stretchy. It can recover. Mm-hmm. The problem is with these obstructions is the very first time a bladder fills up, that means that's the very first time that kidneys have ever had to function. When the bladder gets too full, the urine backs up into the kidneys, and the very first time they were being asked to function, they're malfunctioning. Yeah. Because urine got backed up into them. But we had caught it so early. We had caught it before it was supposed to be caught. Yeah. We caught it five weeks before anyone would have seen it. We were at week like 17 or 18, maybe 20 at this point. Um, and we had been doing so good. Yeah. And of course they check his kidneys every time. And of course they measure his kidneys every time. And we measured them on Tuesday. And they were fine. Yeah. And it's Friday. And I can see that they look terrible. And that same doctor that I told you about before that was super good at ultrasounds. Yeah. He came in and I said, this, these kidneys look terrible. And he said, yes, they do. And I said, I don't feel good about this. And um, he's like, let me go get the surgeon. So now I'm in the ultrasound room with the ultrasound tech, the surgeon and the, the other doctor and um the surgeon sat down next to me and i said i said i know those kidneys look bad and he said yeah this is this is what happens this is the complication this is bilateral kidney disease and if these kidneys don't recover it's as if you're born without kidneys um, I said, do kidneys recover? Because <laughs> who the heck knows? And uh, he was said, um, he was like, no, no, they don't. They don't regenerate. They don't grow back. Okay. I said, uh, he said, we planned to do another stent tomorrow. Do you want to? And I said, this is our last chance. And he goes, well, you know, it, yeah. and I said, no, this is our, I said, if what's my, is my other option to just go home? Yes. I said, then this is our last chance. So yes, if, if it is safe to do the surgery, I want to do the surgery. Yeah. 
that was a whole second thing because now I have no fluid around this baby and that makes surgery very precarious. Um, Cause they can't move the baby around. If yeah. They need to. So yeah. crazy while I'm so next day, same prep, literally same anesthesia team the team the same ana- donald duck <laughs> the anesthesia came, team came in and i said i said to them i'll take exactly what you gave me last time <laughs> i said i have thrown up every day for 15 weeks and after you guys gave me medicine was the first time i didn't throw up so i will take they're like oh usually people tell us we make them worse and i was like no I, i've never felt better <laughs> so uh yeah we did like a copy paste of that (laughs) i go to surgery they actually pump fluid into me yeah fill up the the, my uterus back up fill the sack back up and then do the surgery it went great um i came out of surgery and the doctor was like you were a rock star and i was like you were a rock star just laid there (laughs) i said i didn't contribute anything to that procedure and he's like no you did so good i'm like i don't understand that but okay um i spend the night we are kind of laughing with the doctor about we he kept making jokes with us about uh every time he would say what are you guys doing tonight we would say eating pizza because we're in chicago yeah so then he's so then it was like a thing like what pizza did you have last night where did you eat last night he's telling us his favorite spots and then he's like but have you had donuts in chicago and he's telling us his favorite donuts so the next morning i was made sure my mom brought a dozen of his favorite donuts because he came in on a saturday morning to see me wow um after surgery so he comes in and he does his he does a little ultrasound bedside and i told him i said i feel very different this time mm-hmm. what he said what do you mean i said well first of all i hurt and he's like oh yeah sorry about that we had to go straight through your oblique <laughs> i was like oh okay no wonder i can't my uterus just twitched breathe. and so i'm like am i pregnant or am i having sympathy pains <laughs> My whole side, my whole right side was so sore. Oh, I was like, I had hot packs like stuffed in my shirt because of course I'm pregnant. And I can't take any pain medicine. So yeah. And if you have never had pregnancy complications or a miscarriage before, Michelle gave me the advice of hot and cold. That's all you can do. It's and it's life changing. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a heating pad in your household, which we didn't until I had a miscarriage, mm-hmm. buy one right now because it solves every problem well you can thank Lurie's children's hospital for that one too because the nurse was like how about a hot pad and i was like yes and i had four of them stuffed in my shirt (laughs) yes so anyways and then the other thing that was different is after the first surgery the first time i stood up to go to the bathroom my belly was heavy for the first time that whole pregnancy because all the fluid was back outside of the baby. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, my belly is so heavy. And it stretched out like immediately. And this surgery, I got up and I felt the same. Oh. And so he's doing the bedside ultrasound the morning after my second surgery. And I said, I feel different. I'm really sore. And my belly did not change. And he's like, okay. He's like, I, I understand. And. I'm like, can I look at the monitor with you? So he like sat on the bed with me so we can both see the screen. And and he's giving me the caveat of like, this machine is not good. This is a 
you know, very low it's portable resolution. Yeah. And I'm like, you can see what you need to see. And I go, where is all that fluid you put into me yesterday? And it is not there. And the stent is in place and the bladder is empty and there's no fluid in me. And I said, where did that go? You added fluid yesterday. And he goes, that's what I, that's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm measuring. And I said, his kidneys don't work. He said, he said, if his kidneys worked, we would see fluid. So I said, where does it go? Yeah. And he said, if it's trapped, it just reabsorbs into you, into him. Um, it just absorbs. It has nowhere else to go. And he's like, but go get the formal ultrasound. Okay. So I do, and it's the same, except bigger and clearer. <laughs> and I go home that night, and I really fall apart. Yeah. Um, because this feels like, what else am I, How what do else we fix am I this? do? Yeah. I know... I've done the research. They've certainly done the research. There is this one trial happening at four hospitals in America for this diagnosis. It's happening. I'm like, maybe he'll tell me about that. Maybe maybe I'll go to Johns Hopkins and enroll in this trial. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So I got left. So the next day we have our conference meeting. Or two days later, um, I have another ultrasound, looks the same, back to our conference room meetings, and he said, is there anyone else you want to join this meeting? I said, I would love for my in-laws to be on this call, and so he put them on speakerphone in the room so we could all talk, and he said, he was like, how was your weekend? (laughs) (laughs) You know, but, but like, in a, he's really asking me, Yeah, and I said, this, this was, this weekend was very different for me because this outcome is very different because I saw perfect kidneys on Tuesday and I saw diseased kidneys on a Friday and that was very shocking to me and that was not what I expected and he said that was shocking to us too. Um, so we talked for a long time about kind of like the diagnosis and then I said what do you know about this trial I can't think of what it's called anymore but he said um in a very professional way he said I do know about that trial and there is a reason why the program that I run does not participate he said there are no successes in that trial he said to me this is the problem now it's not that your baby can't live without kidneys although you can't live without kidneys you can be born and immediately start dialysis yeah and then get a kidney transplant and and you have to be big enough and healthy enough and then get a kidney transplant when you're two years old 
that's a trajectory. The problem is there is no fluid during these weeks of critical lung development. The fluid, like we talked about before, the baby breathes in and out, and that fluid, and there's still some question marks around the actual science of it, but that's because it's God that designed it, so yeah. it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's some, like, they don't quite understand, but what we do know is there's this critical lung development window between 17 and 26 weeks, and you have to have adequate fluid levels during those weeks or your lungs do not develop in a way that they can exchange oxygen that what lungs are supposed to do yeah in case you didn't know <clears throat> so that's the problem not the bladder not even the kidneys we could work around that yeah this now i'm looking at a baby with no kidneys and no lungs um he said they're this trial that they're doing, they're giving moms weekly, bi-weekly infusions of amniotic fluid, like like falsely facilitating the fluid. And it's not working. There yeah. is not a success from this trial. I said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean success? And he said, this, this diagnosis, megacystis, we've known about, we've treated, we've used stents for 50 years. There is not a 10-year-old alive today that has the diagnosis your son has. And if your son is born, it will be immediate dialysis, immediate respiratory support, immediately on life support until the baby either breathes on his own or doesn't. And he's like, and there isn't a baby that has no lung development that has gotten off of life support. This is the way he's saying this to me. Yeah. He said, and, and, I'm, and I understand this. I'm yeah. taking this in. Um, and I, all I could say was like, I said to him, I hear what you're saying, but isn't this just so sad? <laughs> and the whole room's like, yes, it is so sad. And I said, I did everything right. And he said, yeah, you did. And I said, you did everything right. I said, the surgeries worked. Yeah, they did. I said, so it, so it, this just sucks. He said, yes, it does. It just, it's just sad. He said, I want you to go home and I want you to give these kidneys a week to try yeah. and recover and see what they can do. I said, okay. And he said, he said, I want you to know that as a mother, you are allowed to make choices and you're allowed to make new choices 
if and when you need to. And I said to him, I said, I hear what you're saying to me and I'll take it to heart. But I am telling you, I will not change my mind. And he said, I know. Okay. He said, but if you do, this room supports you. He said, you can come back to Chicago anytime you want to talk to me. <laughs> okay. Um, do you need a second? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> and I moved, so Caleb's freaking out over here. I just freaking love I think this doctor would have taken me well, home. I'm just thinking about like all I can think about is how much we love your baby. Yeah. He's a good boy. Like he went through a lot. <laughs> what well, even mine? Oh I know. I should not have gotten pregnant. <laughs> you should have. I know, but statistically, because of I the know. bacteria that I had in my vagina and uterus, I should not have been able to get pregnant. And that fucking stubborn child. I know. So why do we? <laughs> I don't know. Because I love them so much. Oh. I just, I always say, like, no one, no one could have prayed harder than I prayed. No. Or the people who were praying for and you. no one could have wanted harder than I wanted. And, like, I thought you were supposed to know the desires of my heart. Yeah. And, like, not just that, but, like, I said them out loud. Yeah. And I don't do that. I don't either. I trusted you for once. And I have to go through this bullshit? Yeah. 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 I, I told myself for the first time ever, this is the one thing that isn't going to have to be the hard way. I know. Me too. Me too, because I've worked so, so, so hard this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm coming home from Chicago. Okay. For I know I'm coming home from Chicago for the last time. Yeah. Um, And I just cried the whole way home. I, re- I remember at one point te- telling my mom, like, I don't even know how to tell my family. Yeah. Because last time... We went to Chicago. We got surgery. It was super successful. We came home and we were re-energized. We had hope. Yeah. This time, we went to Chicago. We got horrible, unexpected news. The surgery went fine, but things are not fine. And I didn't know how to communicate that in a way that was like, hey, I, I just didn't know what to say. I don't know what to say to my dad. You know, I, do, I don't know what to say. And she, my mom's like, it's okay. You know, I can I can talk to the family and... It's okay. You don't have to know what to say right now. Yeah. My mom told the rest of my family too when I had the miscarriage. And being able to do that for someone with their permission is the biggest gift you can give someone who's grieving is to not have to make them deliver that news. Yeah. You can say, hey, be patient with me. I want to do it. Yeah. Or can you do this for me? Yeah. Yeah. Those are both valid options. Yeah. Um, so I get home from Chicago. It's a very tough week. I, um... Also, I'm moving into my new house right now. Yeah, by the way, they closed on a house the same week that yeah. she was in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> right. I 
another gold star goes out to the real estate team who I called them and said, I'm on super strict bed rest. And they said, we'll bring the papers to you. And I signed closing documents at my dining room table. Yeah. I mean, like, incredible. You can drop a name. Oh, Stacy. Stacy Roback at Remax. <laughs> Phenomenal. Perfect. Okay. Um, yeah, that was an incredible experience. So we move into this house, and by we, I mean everyone in my family except for <laughs> me, who's on bed rest, uh, moved literally like my family and friends loaded up this U-Haul, and we moved. And um, I wasn't allowed to use stairs, so we had purposely bought a pull-out couch because um, I couldn't go upstairs of my new house, so I slept downstairs for a couple nights. Um, we go to our follow-up appointment in Grand Rapids, and this is on a Friday, and um, is this Friday or is this Thursday? This is when days become important. Yeah, because um, it was a time thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you need me to pull up the date? Do you um, no, 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 no. Let me just... I think it was... Because I went back the next day. So it was Thursday. It was Thursday. Okay. So I go to an appointment in Grand Rapids on Thursday. I have an ultrasound. It's a very bizarre experience because... I'm looking at, she's measuring no fluid. We find one half centimeter pocket of fluid in my uterus. We see the stent in place. The bladder is the appropriate size. But that's it. I mean, it looks exactly the same as when I left the hospital in Chicago. And the whole, I mean, the I won't get into the technicalities of like fluid levels because pockets of fluid are different than fluid. levels of fluid and, and they know the level you need that's considered normal and normal means enough fluid to be effectively producing organs. Yeah. yeah. So I go to a meeting with this doctor in that office and he says uh, I said I see no fluid and he said I see no fluid and I said these kidneys don't work and he said I would agree these kidneys don't work and I said so what is going to happen and by the way there are lots of behind the scenes conversations happening yeah. between me and my husband about like, if the doctor says this, this is our choice. If the doctor says this, this is our choice. If the doctor says this, we're going to have this conversation and this is our choice. We were very careful to be on the same page yeah. and to not commit or decide until we had confirmed information. Yeah. Um. So now we're in the office. We have no fluid. Confirmed. Kidneys don't work. Confirmed. Um, 
Fluid is needed to build lungs. Fluid is needed to build lungs. So statistically, we know this baby will immediately require life support because will not have proper lung function. And then it is a, if he ever is able to come off a ventilator, how long will he sustain breathing on his own? It's like we're talking about minutes or hours. Yeah. Um, and I am shocked, stunned. I'm like, okay, slow down. You know, say it one more time. Let me understand. Because I know this. We've had these conversations this week. But like, we were going, going, going week after week after week. Surgery, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Bed rest, off bed rest, in a wheelchair, back to surgery. Surgery went well. Membranes are separated. Membranes are fused. Good news, bad news. And now it's like, if your baby comes off life support, will he live for minutes or hours? That's, that is, the brakes are on. Yeah. If he makes it to birth. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, um, we're considering early termination of this pregnancy. What does that look like? And he says, you're 23 weeks pregnant and it's Thursday. You have to be induced by Monday morning or that decision will be illegal. I'm like, what? I have... I just came from Chicago where this team said, we'll support everything you do and your choice. And do you want surgery or not? And take your time and call us in the morning and you can go home and think about it. Everything up until this point was careful and planned and thoughtful. And, and I'm like, did you just put a time limit? On this, <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm offended. Um, what do you mean? And he said, you have to be induced by Monday. And he's like, and really, I would recommend Saturday because we don't know how long the induction will take. Um, that's, that's the time limit. I'm like, who else can I talk to? He suggested palliative care, uh, which is a team that specializes in end-of-life care in a hospital, helping families come up with plans to have the end of a life look as you want it to, whatever that means. I said, okay, if that's what you recommend, I like talk to palliative care. He said, when can we get our appointment? We can get our appointment tomorrow. Okay, great. I'm calling my, 
or I'm emailing work and saying, I'm out of the office. I don't know when I'm coming back. <laughs> Sorry. Also, thank God for your, your brand new job that was my brand- both remote and willing to let you. My brand new job who's let me go to have surgery twice. Yeah. Um. Yes. Uh. Okay. So they get us an appointment for tomorrow morning with palliative care. Man, oh man, sitting in the waiting room of palliative care at a children's hospital is a humbling place to sit. And we were sweaty and scared and, again, we'll be on the same page before, during, and after. If you have questions, ask your questions. Um no decisions until we hear information. Yeah. We talked to the palliative care team. They were amazing. We talked to a doctor, nurse, and a social worker all in the same room together. I started talking about our situation, and at some point, the doctor came to understand that I was talking about induction, early induction of this baby, and he said, I'm so sorry. I think you were misled because palliative care doesn't doesn't have anything to do with inductions. Palliative care is for live humans at the end of their life and we come up with a plan. He's like, "So, we could talk about things like after your son is born, what level of intensity do you want? What level of what level of care do you want? Would you like him to be taken and vented immediately would you like him to receive xyz medications immediately do you want him to have lines and do you want his heart worked on do you want as soon he's like if you if you have the palliative care team there when you deliver naturally we'll come in with the respiratory therapist the cardiologist the neonatologist We'll come in with the team right at your bedside. We'll take the baby and we'll start doing whatever treatments you decide. And that sounds horrific to me because I know that my baby is not going to breathe on his own. So you're telling me a group of eight doctors are going to take my baby away from me where he can die over there? where he can die on the other side of the room um where we can put tubes and lines in him and then take them out in a few hours um so that his 30 seconds to two hours here on earth mm -hmm. are agonizing and then if that's not what i choose i can hold him and watch him not be able to breathe. And that's that's the time I get with him is him suffocating. No, 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 no. That's That felt so deeply wrong to me. And I said, I'm I appreciate this meeting. This has been very clarifying to me. I'm going to talk with my husband. We're going back to 
fetal medicine right now and we did we walked just straight across the hospital (laughs) and i said i need to see that doctor again right now and um i walked back into this doctor's office and i said our decision is that we are going to birth this baby on our own terms So I just need you to tell me exactly what that looks like. And I'm not going to talk about that here because I think it's very hospital specific, institution specific. I I know that for a fact because I called Chicago and asked how they did it. And it was very different than how it would have been in Grand Rapids. That was a choice for me. I was a patient in Chicago. Do I want to go back to Chicago? I love that team. But I called them and I found out it was going to be a different team of doctors. And it felt very wrong to me that my son wasn't going to be born where I live. So, no, I ruled that out. Um, The doctor said, we can induce you tomorrow morning. And I said, no, not tomorrow morning. I need I need a day. Okay, Sunday. We agreed on Sunday. And this is where like. Um, I, he did me a favor and it was not entirely legal. (laughs) He asked for my signature. Um, and he said, he gave me a blank piece of paper or a, yeah, a blank piece of paper covering everything except the signature line. And he said, I need you to sign this for your procedure but I'm going to save you from reading through it. Yeah. He said, the things you have to read in this from the Michigan department of health, uh, will make you vomit. So I, I want you to sign for the induction of your beautiful baby boy. And, um, I am so deeply grateful for that gesture. Um, So I did. And I said, I just need, I just need to like understand this procedure. I just kept saying that, like, can you just explain this to me? And, and this just like, why is this, why does this feel so like the right choice? But like, it's so awful. And he's like, it is awful. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And and I'm really upset. Okay, so we're talking, I'm talking to this doctor about the this termination or induction or what do we call this? Or this is so, I, why am I at this point? What has happened on this journey? And then, of course, like, I know what has happened on this journey. And I know every choice I made along the way. And I know how peaceful all those choices felt. And I know how incredible all these doctors were. And I know deep inside of me that I have made every right choice and I have done everything right. And every procedure and attempt that I made was in fact successful Yeah, to a baby that technically should not have had his first ultrasound until he was 20 weeks. Yeah. So 
And this doctor said to me, these time limits are laws. Yeah. And he said, the, the discomfort you're feeling is because this is the first time the law is making a decision about you and your baby. And I said, absolutely, because up until now, everything has been, this is my son and this is what I'm comfortable with and this is what I agree to. And and he said, the doctor told me that one time he was treating a patient who had a fetus with a genetic anomaly that was not survivable, but they didn't find it until she was 25 weeks. And in the state of Michigan, you have no choice at 25 weeks but to carry to term. And you will give birth naturally to a non-living baby. And this person, this patient, was the mom, and she said, what about my early termination options? And he said, you don't have any anymore. You're 25 weeks. And she said, no, those laws don't exist for people like me. Because she was a state representative of some sort. She worked in government for the state of Michigan. And he said, the laws don't have caveats to say except for people like you. The the laws don't do that for us. They're much more umbrella than that. And I was like, you know what? Last year I would have said the same thing. Mm-hmm. I am a middle class white married woman. I was a virgin until my wedding night. I waited to try to conceive until I was financially stable and owned my home and was in a loving, committed, amazing marriage that is, we're more than capable of being amazing parents. Yeah. And I could have said, these laws weren't created for someone like me. Yeah. This is a medical procedure, not not an abortion. But it doesn't matter. The law doesn't have caveats for someone like me. So I go home and I call my mom, I call my mother-in-law and I say, this is the decision we've made. This baby is going to be born on Sunday. I want, this is what I want. Um, Because I have been, I've been planning this since we came home from Chicago. Yeah. I gathered my family all together in our new home. We had a beautiful time where I got to share. That's the first time I told everyone Will's name. And uh, I got to talk about my son, which is what every mom wants to do. Yeah. And I showed every single ultrasound picture I have because those are the pictures of my kid. Yeah. And I had a, a really beautiful time with my family. And the nurse called me. And she said, hi, I'm your nurse. I'll see you tomorrow morning. The time changed a little. You need to be here at 9.30 instead of 8. 
um, but I'm your nurse. I'll meet you there. And I hung up the phone and I looked at my husband and I said, she's not meeting me there tomorrow. I'm not going. I'm not going. It's not. I can't. I cannot. I can't. I can't imagine myself walking to the through the doors and saying to someone I'm here for an induction. I. It's not time for that. I'm not ready for that. I'm feeling that night. I'm feeling this baby kicking and. And we've been through a lot together. And if he's not supposed to be with me, why is he still with me? (laughs) And it was a long night. And I eventually calmed down enough to sleep and left it with like, whatever you do in the morning. I I left it with, I haven't made a wrong choice yet. I'm not going to tomorrow. Yeah. I walked, I got up, I packed my bag, I went to the hospital. I told him I was there for an induction. I got to my room and I'm like, I'm not changing into the gown. A nurse walked into the room. I had my husband and my mom there. There's COVID restrictions happening. I knew I could bring two visitors. I had my mom and my husband there. And the nurse walked in and she sat by my bed and she said, she said, how are you? And I said, I love my son. And she held my hands and she said, I know you do. And I do too. And she said, everything today is on your terms. With your permission, we will not start until you say go. You will not go home until you're ready to go home. No one's kicking you out. There's no one around you. The rooms around you are empty because you don't need to hear other babies be born today. Whatever you want to do, we'll do. And like, like an unexplainable peace happened to me. And it was the sole act of her giving me back the autonomy that had been taken away from me. By this imaginary time limit. All of a sudden she took the time limits away. And she acknowledged me as a mother. It was everything about my labor and delivery was real. Was legitimate. Was made legitimate by how I was treated. I was treated like any other OB patient would have been treated. They let my mother-in-law come, and they said as soon as the baby's born, I could have anyone else come that I wanted, because even though there's restrictions, there are exceptions, (laughs) And, and I 
labored. For 24 hours. And it was everything you imagine labor is. And. My baby did not survive labor. Um, but when he was born. They put him right on my stomach, and they let my husband cut his cord, and they handed him to me, and it was beautiful. That day was beautiful, and my sister got to come and meet my son, And we spent the whole day together. I got to put a diaper on him. And I sang to him. And I took a nap with him. And then the the nurses took him for a little bit and got his footprints, his handprints, And they made me Christmas ornaments out of his little handprints. And and I missed him while he was gone with the nurses. And they brought him back. And I was happy to see him again. And and except for leaving, I have not a single bad Memory or feeling or regret the day my son was born. It was beautiful and meaningful and powerful. My doctor was so proud of me the next day. She came and hugged me. And all of the nurses stopped by to see Will and said he was so beautiful. And they all wanted to hold him. And I kissed him five billion times. And no mother should ever leave the hospital without her baby. And I kept thinking... Oh, this is so awful. This is so wrong. This is so wrong. This is so wrong. And my sister said, because it is. It's not natural. It's not right. It's not It's not how it's supposed to be. It's not. It's not. You're not supposed to give birth and have empty arms. Yeah. And everything about that experience was legitimate legitimized by the angels that worked at that hospital. And my son was born into a room of people that were excited to see him and loved him and cheered for him and (laughs) cared about him. And, 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 and it was beautiful. And, (laughs) 
I made all the right choices for Will. Yeah. I am his mom, and it's hard to be a mom. It's hard to make hard choices. It is... It's... There, these are impossible things to ask of a person. But I think about this. I think about if Will had been born full term, who would have had to make the choice to turn off life support? His mom. If Will had been born full term, who would have had to make the choice to pull the intubation tube or stop the respirator his mom and those are the same choices I did make and I got to make I made life and death choices but I don't think you can call them choices when it's it's not a choice. Um, this is this is my story. This is my son, and forever I am his protector. And that is no different than any mother in the world. Just like I love hearing his name. Just like I love that you love my son. And he still brings us joy. (laughs) Like during the break, she showed me a video of him literally jumping in the womb. Mm -hmm. Like to say that people who have had to make the choices that you've had to make are inherently evil is wrong. Yeah. Because... You didn't have a choice. You had to choose between a lot of really shitty things Mm -hmm. and none of them are the choice you wanted to make. No. No. But because you, by the grace of God, had two days to have all the options. Yeah. Right. You got to choose what was best for your son. And I can't express how... I mean, even by accident retelling this story, I think the times where I've said I had a lot of peace were the times that someone gave me a choice. Yeah. The times that I thought, okay, I made, this is the right, I did the right thing. It was my choice. Um, and you can't overemphasize the importance of that. Yeah. What that, what autonomy gives back to you. Um, and in making that yeah. choice, you didn't just choose yourself. Oh, and no. I think that the world no. would love to make wait. you feel that chose way. Chose myself. <laughs> wait, wait. I still have the scars yeah. on my body about the times I didn't choose myself. Yeah. Um, or my comfort, or I mean. Let's not forget I gave birth in a hospital pre uh, an induced labor. Yeah. That's a $14,000 medical bill. Uh-huh. I didn't choose myself. 
each surgery in Chicago, that's a $68,000 hospital bill. That's not choosing myself. That's what moms do. And no one can tell me otherwise. Yeah. What you did wasn't selfish. And I think a lot of what's going on right now would lead people to believe that it was and it wasn't. No, 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 no. Because selfish was the night before when I just wanted four more months of baby kicks. But then Will would have had to suffocate in my arms. That felt more selfish. Yeah. I don't know how we could say it any better than that, honestly. And I'm really proud of you. And this fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. And I have, I'm like a brand new, like, I'm a brand new baby lost grief mom now. That's Woo-hoo. what our community is called. <laughs> um, uh, and grief is a whole other journey. I am not the same human I was last year. Um, I am, but it's because I'm a mom now. Yeah. And that inherently changes you. Um, yeah, the second you get pregnant, especially when you've been trying for a year, yeah. like you're whole perspective shifts everything in your life is less important and and whether you carry the baby to term and have a baby in your arms or not that doesn't change the fact that yeah you had that mindset shift yeah yeah I understand that I understand that and I yeah I think that that saying like yeah you uh you're not crazy for thinking that your brain changed it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's helpful. Yeah. And hearing from other moms, um, you know, that can relate to the this particular type of pain. Yeah. Is helpful. It with anything, having a community and support is helpful. I can't imagine being unsupported. I am, holy cow, just, it was a blessed experience. I don't take it for granted at all. I only desire every mom to be met with the grace and compassion and love and support that I was met with in that hospital room. Yeah. And every conference room before that. Everyone deserves that. I am not. um, I heard a quote that was like a. uh, A rare rare is only comforting until you are a rare statistic. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, this this megacystis is like a one in 15,000 for boys. Um, so yeah, not a lot of comfort in being a rare (laughs) statistic because I was one, Yeah, but I don't, I don't want to feel, I don't want the rare statistic moms to be like, to have shame and embarrassment and guilt. And that stuff is so heavy when we're, we're full of grief. Yeah. There's not space in your arms and your heart to carry 
shame and guilt. Yeah. And you don't deserve that. And support, when you have support, that is literally others helping you carry all that extra weight that you got to save your energy for getting out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. For the grief. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I don't have anything really insightful to like wrap this up. I'm sure that you would answer questions if people have them and they're respectful, but I would ask that anyone direct those questions to me so I can regulate that. Um, if you want to reach out to Michelle too bad because she's my friend and not yours. So <laughs> leave her alone and don't you dare bully her or else. <laughs> and really the only people we really want to reach out are people who have suffered through this without being able to tell anyone because we both know the power of support is mm-hmm. being able to share your story with people. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't have to be on a podcast in front of everyone, but sometimes just telling one person makes it a little easier. So I am always here for that kind of support. And I'm sure Michelle would be too. Mm-hmm. She's helped me a ton through my miscarriage of just like little tips and also allowing me to cuss it out mm-hmm. and admit that this is not how the world's supposed to be. So um, if you're going through that right now or have in the past, know that we see you and we love you and, we're the last people are going to judge you for making the decision that's right for you. And if you're listening to this and you don't necessarily agree with the, the choices that Michelle has made, keep that to yourself because every person's choice is their own. And the point of this podcast is to respect those choices that people make and understand a little bit more about them so we can have compassion. So I am going to wrap this up and say thank you for listening and watching now. Um, If you want to, you can subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. Uh, I'm sure it'll have a name by the time this goes live. And (laughs) I really appreciate you listening. And thank you for being here. Extra sauce on the side. Ta-ding! Thanks, Sam. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs)